This is Advancing Your Business, Your People, and Legacy podcast, where we will discuss all things impacting the growth, value, and sustainability of privately held businesses. This podcast is produced by the Rawls Group, Business Succession Planners, and I am Kendall Rawls, your host. Hi, thank you for tuning in. The assumption is if you're here, you're either a family member in a family business, a key employee in a business, or know someone in a family business and um, are wanting to learn a little, little bit more to help support those that you care about. Uh, family businesses are a very unique environment. It, it can either be an environment that um, people bond together and make the impossible possible, or it can be an environment where there's infighting and tearing each other down. And at the end of the day, it's choice. It's a choice for each individual to uh, either look inside themselves and find ways to build each other up and support the common mission. And at the same time, have those in leadership engage all those around them and make them, make them feel valuable about their contribution to the mission. Or it can be an environment where it is all about me and not we. And so what the, the conversation and the discussion here today is all about how can we create an environment of support, of collaboration, and to create a win-win-win for the individuals in the family business, for the business, the family in the family business, and the business itself. Because uh, when each individual person is successful, that means the team is successful, and that means the business is, is successful. And when the business is, is successful, it trickles down as well um, for benefits to the team as well as the individual. So what is a family in a family business or what is family business? The way that we define family business is two or more people working together for reasons other than money. So that means that you could be blood related or you could be just common minded and have the same values and, and have a perspective and a goal to wanting the same things to, to serve clients, to serve the community, to enhance the lives of others, whatever the mission, vision, and core values of are the group, the team, and the business can bond each other in a familial way that creates any privately held business and even a corporate public environment a family-oriented place. And what I love about this image is what is how it communicates diversity. Families are diverse, even those that are blood-related uh, and or uh, have blended families um, from different marriages or blended families from different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, and the, the thought process of a blended family from a work and team perspective. Families are diverse. And what each person brings to the family is a gift. And so the, the goal and the way to harness uh, the power of family, of, of being able to make something that often seems impossible possible, is finding the, the unique strengths of each individual and celebrating those strengths and supporting them so each person can give the most and the best that they can for the group cause. What brings uh, the conversation to this slide? So the beginning, the first slide and the title of this conversation is how to avoid the kicked hornet's nest. So when you think about a hornet's or bee's nest, oftentimes there's a lot of anxiety that people may feel because of being allergic to a bee sting or knowing the pain of a bee or hornet sting. But there's also something very beautiful 
about watching a hornet's or bee's nest, especially from a pretty far safe place away, maybe from the inside, you're able to see how they work together and how everyone knows their role. And even when the, the queen bee finds her demise, there may be a little bit of disarray in the hive, but immediately, well, very quickly, there is order regained and nature takes its course. And that is what we endeavor to provide tools and strategies to family business. So when there is any sort of transition in the family or business environment, there may be a little bit of chaos because there is change, but that there's not this horrible, crazy chaos for years and years that essentially begins to break down the family relationships and the business. And so when we think about avoiding the kicked hornet's nest, you want to avoid what we all know will happen if someone goes and kicks a hornet's nest like a soccer ball. There's disarray, the hornets or the bees are going to find the person or the whatever it is, the, the thing of danger and attack it and protect themselves and, and create chaos. And what we endeavor to do and what this conversation is about is providing strategies to avoid the kicked hornet's nest, allowing the hornet, the family environment to uh, succeed and to transition and, and remain in harmony no matter what transition takes place, that there is a next step, there is an order to how things operate. And within that order, all those who are involved in the business feel um, as though they are contributing to the value that they can, are capable of, and that is a team unified uh, environment. So a little bit about me before getting before moving forward. My name is Kendall Rawls. I am Director of Development with the Rawls Group. I've been with the Rawls Group for about 16 years, and the Rawls Group is a succession planning company firm. Uh, we help other uh, capital-intensive businesses work through their own family business dynamics and uh, business succession, um, helping them overcome and succeed through any transition that they may be faced with, whether that be a leadership transition, a transition through what we're currently being faced with in 2021, a COVID worker shortage. So essentially helping business owners build strategies to overcome any issue impacting the possible, probable, and potential issues impacting their business. I am a certified coach. Um, in the off time, if I could make money uh, being a beach volleyball player, I would, but I am vertically challenged. I love to travel, art, um, I'm a sister, a daughter. So one of the first things that we think about when we think about family business or a kicked hornet's nest is conflict. That is what creates the chaos. And so what we have observed, um, there are four, there's a lot many, but the ones I'm going to focus on right now are four key areas of conflict that we find are most common potholes or, or most common issues that get in the way of really good relationships and getting work done. Um, and that would be mismatched expectations, stereotypes and baggage, uh, creating stories in our head. And at the end of it, which wraps it all up in a bow is meaning making machines. And so just want to start and circle back real fast on mismatched expectations. Um, it's probably one of the most common things that happen in human communication. One person has an expectation of X of, for example, if I were to call someone or text somebody that I would have a general expectation that they would respond to me. And 
what often happens, especially in this 24-hour accessibility world that we live in, if they don't respond in what I would call in my expectation a reasonable period of time, I'm now going to create stories in my head. Well, are they mad at me? Why are they mad at me? I can't believe they got mad at that. And the other person probably is just busy. Maybe their phone died. Uh, maybe they they're they put their phone down because they wanted wanted to take a minute. Um, that's a very simple example of mismatched expectations and creating stories in our head. But it's also one that is very common amongst us all. That when you think about a very simple example and blowing that up to bigger conversations or business circumstances or family circumstances, how that very simple example can create such a big impact in other environments. Um, another one I touched on was stereotypes. So even using the phone example, um, they never respond to me. Why don't they ever respond to me? Do they not respect me? I always respond to them. So that's an example of, again, mismatched expectation. I always respond to them. So now I'm expecting them to respond to me. And I'm assuming, and I'm, I'm putting a always uh, assumption on there that they always act a certain way. Other examples of stereotypes, especially related to blood-related family environments, and not even family blood-related, but people you've just known for a really long time. And the, and the Rawls group, I've known some of the key leaders since I was six, and I'm currently 41. So they have known me, and I have known them from for a very long period of time, and they have known me through different stages of my life. So they have seen me as a bratty six-year-old, um, also a six-year-old that forced them to watch watch me do flips and routines and the the family room um they've seen me see they've seen me be a, a teenager a young adult and now i'm 41 and i would also still call myself a young adult but um i'm a much more mature human than i was when i was in my 20s and so it's not for any other reason other than there's certain people that have have had exposure to you or that you have exposure to them over an extended period of time. And so in order for us as humans to process information quickly, we naturally distort, delete, and generalize behaviors, communication. And with that many years of time, it is natural for people to create stereotypes. It's an easier way for them to uh, make decisions and and create options or or interpret what you're saying. However, the downside to stereotypes is that that if you are operating in that environment, you are putting stereotypes on somebody else. You are now putting them in a box, and you are not acknowledging the maturity and the growth that they have had over the many years, and that they have grown beyond that. And so, the downside of that is that that relationship is now stuck in time. The one person has moved on, but you haven't. And so you are now not allowing that relationship to grow and to flourish in the way that it could be. And if you bring that to a business and team environment, you're now not getting the best of them for the team or the business. And that also goes into baggage. Stereotypes and baggage kind of go hand in hand. So those are four of the, I would say, some of the most common issues of conflict in family and family businesses. Um, and to move forward, one of the best ways to stop conflict is, is to stop it before it happens. But we're going to move 
Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that in a, in a few minutes. Um, again, I just touched on these four areas. And if you would like to talk further about these um, and relate them to your own business or family circumstance, please feel free to reach out to me. My information is Kendall at KendallRawls.com because I know that this is a big topic that I've kind of just uh, just skated over, um, but there's a lot good, a lot more good content down the road. So I want to get moving. So another big uh, or another issue that is common in family businesses and in family environments is the pink elephant. Uh, there are some topics and some conversations that one person just does not want to engage in. And so a common thing that may happen is this discussion is over. So what you have now decided in a two-way conversation is that you are no longer going to help, you're no longer going to engage, and you have shut the door on any further discussion, development, collaboration, and options and choices in a way that this conversation could have gone. So when you think about your family relationship, that dynamic, you've kind of shut a door in how that can grow. And when you think about this dynamic from a business perspective and in business, there are so many changes happening in our environment. What we want to be in, what the position we want to be in in business is also be extremely flexible. And so when that door shuts, or when you have shut that door, you have now also shut the door to further creative problem solving, collaboration, options, and choices. And so right now, this little pink elephant in the room it's just saying, let's avoid it because this is how we can move forward in our relationship. We're going to pretend it's not going to be there and we're just going to be happy. But there's really only one person happy, the person who shut the door on, the, on that discussion, because the other one, they still have some more things to say. And they're still wanting to figure out how to solve and create a win-win-win um, option for everybody. So what happens is that pink elephant continues to grow. And there's one person that's probably balancing that pink elephant on their on their head, because in this example, there's two people who have said we're not going to talk about it. So unfortunately, that one person, their neck and their back is starting to hurt and it's just welling up. And then eventually that pink elephant is going to continue to grow and is not there's not going to be any room Um for people in that space and or emotions. And what often sometimes happens, which you may experience, is the person who is holding all of that in because they're not allowed to problem solve it, collaborate, um, think through options as to how to make something work, they may explode. And then what happens is when they explode, they're looked at like, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you being a drama queen? Where all along they've been wanting to talk about it. They've been wanting to problem solve. They've been wanting to collaborate. So how do you navigate difficult conversations is keep your options open. Maybe first focus on what is the end goal for each person and knowing that there's different ways, for lack of a better term, till Sunday to get there. I was presenting this topic a couple of weeks ago and a person in the audience shared a story I don't know who, who is the author of the story, but I've heard it before. Um, but basically, there are two people who are fighting over an orange. And at the, end of the, at the end of the day or at the end of the conversation, they decided to split the orange in half. And one person peeled the orange and ate the inside, and the other person threw the inside out. And what they should have focused on was that 
what did each person want? One person wanted to eat the fruit. They wanted the fruit. They wanted the nourishment. They wanted the sweetness. And the other person wanted the skin for the zest. And so first focusing or knowing that if you focus on what the end goal is and be open to how you get there, the navigation of that, then you can find when, when, wins. Another key strategy is really focusing on listening to understand. Oftentimes we listen to respond. We listen to want to rebut. We listen to want to defend and we listen to win. So the winning is not an either or proposition. The winning is what the collective end goal is. And so as you're working through the meat of how to get there, listen to understand, be curious, remain curious. I was talking to my mom over this weekend and she reminded me of the power of questions and remaining curious. And um, I have a ring that I wear when I know that I'm going into some a meeting or a strategic meeting that could be wrought with emotions and conflict. And it reminds me to remain curious. Questions can help give you the path to understanding and, and ask questions to truly understand someone else's perspective. Also another strategy, and this is one that's common and, um, and working with, I don't do couples therapy, but I have heard about it multiple time and, and relating or just connecting with my friends who are couples is providing time and space for one person to just to, to share their feelings. Perhaps, you know, it's five minutes and the other person has to sit there and listen to understand. Then you allow the other person to respond, not respond, but it's, it's engaging and it's, it's understanding or verifying the emotions and where they're coming from. And, and just saying simply that, you know, understanding who you are, I can understand where you're coming from and how you're feeling, validating the feelings. And then they give you the opportunity to share where you're coming from. But again, it's another five minute of time. This time it's, it's a respectful period of time. There is no debating in this period of time. It's allowing one person to share their feelings validating the other person validates the feelings and then vice versa. Again, this is how you begin to understand where someone else is coming from. And perhaps you didn't think about it that way. And this is where you can figure out the, the collaborative when, when, when of navigating difficult discussions. Another really great tip is having ground rules that if given a certain situation or different feeling or feeling too tense that one person can ask, hey, you know, I really just want to revisit this conversation. I'm not, I'm too tired at this point. I, I, I need to get some fresh air. I want to process the information, but then also being diligent and scheduling a time to get back. If this is an open-ended conversation, resentment can grow. And the other person may feel as though when or what is the right time to approach the topic. So have an out, hey, I'm not feeling this anymore. I'm, I really want to work through this issue with you. How about we circle back in two days? How about we circle back in three days? That shows commitment to working through the topic. This book, uh, The Four Agreements, has been transformational. And one, how I interpret communication to me and how I am actively working to grow and being a better friend, sister, daughter, team member in all the different relationships I have. And I would highly recommend you getting this book. Um, it is probably $5 to $10. 
And if you email me, Kendall at rawlsgroup.com, I will send you a gift copy of this book because of how powerful this book is. Um, even if just you read it, but if you're able to share it with your team or family, this can become a way of life. And it's kind of a short, shorthand way of conversation and, and relating. I have a few friends that we've both read this book and in a text message, or if they're jumping to conclusions, I'll say, don't make assumptions. And then I'll, I'll ask clarifying question. So it's been really powerful and shorthand dynamic and building relationships, whether again, whether it be friends, family, team members, um, any, any sort of interrelational environment. Another key strategy for navigating difficult conversations is create choice and options. So before you come to the table, think about two or three different options or ideas that you can provide to solving or providing an out or um, options to, to the discussion. And know that this these one, one to three of these could be chosen or the other person may have one to three that, that you have to consider, but just be flexible and create choice. The most flexible person or the most versatile person controls the system. And even stronger than that, the most the person who has the best questions controls the conversation. And so much of this, I don't want you to focus on control, but it's also about how you can navigate. If you're wanting to navigate a intense conversation in a harmonious way, then that means you are able to do that with quality questions. So I mentioned that the best way to stop conflict is to stop it before it happens. And I just want to highlight again, the importance of communication. Communication is happening when we think it is or not. Uh, not responding to a text message or to a phone call for whatever it is, is a form of communication. Um, and again, going back to my earlier example, it could have been you put your phone down. That's why you didn't respond. But if there's anything else underlying as to why, you've communicated something. It could be, I don't want to talk about this right now. Uh, I'm not, I'm too busy. But there's communication even when you think there's no communication. Um, another way of thinking about that is body language and what your body is saying to people other than just your words more information is portrayed through body language than actual words. So think through all the different ways that you bring in or that you process information and, and how you uh, interpret environments and know that that's what other people are doing as well. Another way to stop conflict before it happens is to discuss difficult topics when connectivity is high. You kind of know down the road if this or that were to happen, that this could be a sticky situation with a family member, a key leader, or whatever that may be. And what I really, what we really encourage you to do is think through the possible, probable, potential, and predictable issues that can impact your business and your relationships. And so in a safe environment, when connectivity is high, this is the time to talk through what dynamics could happen and what should happen or what you want to have happen given those circumstances. When communication is poor and emotions are high, this is the worst time to think through and try and problem solve because you're now working through a heightened emotional perspective, which is 
oftentimes when we can't be as subjective when we want to be. So really focus and think through what you can and what you should be talking about now when connectivity is high. Another key strategy is governance agreements. We believe that agreements preclude disagreements. And there's a few here I'm going to focus on, especially when it comes to family business environments. And again, when I talk about family business environments, families are diverse. Families could be blood related. Family could be someone that you've grown up with for, for years and years. You've known them um, again, like I've, I've known our key leaders, some of them since I was six, some since I was 16, really looking at how you can apply these governance policies in an environment where emotions play in more than business decisions and agreements will help preclude disagreements and avoid really awkward circumstances where the best thing may to say maybe to say no to something, but that will create a highly emotionally charged environment. So one of the governance agreements I'm talking about is an employment policy. An employment policy could be anything that best fits your culture, your family, your work environment, your industry. Um, some of the basic ones that we recommend are there must be a job opening. So if someone comes to you, a family member, a best friend, a partner's best friend, a key leader's best friend, and say, hey, this seems like an exciting business and I want a job. One of the, the key fundamentals of an employment policy is, well, is there an available job open? And the second one is, is the available job, does that meet the person's required uh, experience and expertise? And does that person have a favorable working environment or favorable working past have they does their resume support uh their the fulfillment of them in that role because if you look to if you say yes and you hire that person now you have an even an even bigger problem on your hand if they are not right for the job or right for the culture because it's harder to fire somebody or let them go especially in a highly relational environment than it is to say this pre-created and agreed upon employment policy does not means given your background, your resume, your job history, you currently do not fit this role. However, on the highest, on the other side, if they are qualified for the role, if they have a very strong work uh, policy or work work history, then that is great. And what that also does is that it sets an example for everyone else who's an employee in the organization of what it takes and a requirement to entry in order to be part of the business. Another uh, governance tool that we recommend is performance criteria. And this outlines behavior and attitudes of family in the business. And again, just to reiterate, family can be blood related, family can be a best friend, family could be a, a friend of a key leader, but this is what outlines what is acceptable behavior and attitude and work performance in the business. And again, it sets a standard. Everyone in the organization knows what's expected out of them. That goes back to clarifying expectations and not having mismatched expectations. So whenever another employee is asked to live up to a certain standard, they know that this is asked across the board. Also, specifically when it does come to family member employees, they are in a fishbowl. And so everyone is looking at them. They are role model material to the rest of the organization and to your culture. And say they set the standard as much as you do. And so the performance expectations 
clarifies what's expected. Everybody knows. And the thought process of enablement uh, is is gone out the the window. And the final uh, agreement and or I would probably say this is a process is the covenant process. And going back to one of the big sources of conflict being mismatched expectations, the covenant process is highly valuable in aligning expectations. We have successfully implemented these amongst owners, partners, uh, owner, key manager, family members. Um, So these have been successfully implemented between family, non-family, non-key leaders who have no relation to each other at all, but again, have created familial bonds with each other and have somehow, or not somehow, but have, because of their history and working together, have created mismatched expectations. What's so powerful about this process is that it really, it allows for each individual to retrospectively think about what is a reasonable expectation. Through this process, uh, there's a third-party facilitator, and that third-party facilitator would first sit with Bob, for example. Bob would write down their expectations, and the third-party facilitator would ask Bob, Do you really think that's reasonable expectation? And oftentimes this takes going back and forth of of how to even rewrite it. So it can be presented in a way that sounds reasonable. And sometimes in this example, Bob would say, you know what? That isn't reasonable. If someone asked asked that of me, I wouldn't do that. That doesn't sound reasonable at all. And so what we first do is we work directly with Bob in this instance to streamline and to really work through what are reasonable expectations. The same thing is done with Jane, um, the the same process. So Bob and the facilitator and Jane and the the facilitator are working uh, independently and private. And then once Bob and Jane feel good about their expectations, then they sit down at the table with the facilitator and present them to each other. Oftentimes, this also brings up some discussion and having to navigate difficult conversations. And then Bob and Jane may go back to the drawing board and have to refine their expectations again. What is key to this is that there is conversation. There is discussion. Oftentimes in relationships, communication breaks down so much that there is no more dialogue. And so what we've done in this process is created a safe place for Bob and Jane to express their expectations why they expect that of each other, understand each other a little bit more. And at the end of this, Bob and Jane will have created expectations that both of them agree upon, both of them understand, and then they'll sign it. And it's a a non-legal binding um, contract, which is why we call it a covenant that helps promote communication, relationships, collaboration, and allowing them to work better together in harmony for their comp- for their common cause. And these are just a few of the covenants that uh, that we have helped develop over time. They're, they were sampled from a lot of different resources. Um, but these are oftentimes common in um, the covenant process and the covenants that are presented to um, both parties. So navigating or how to avoid a kicked hornet's nest. One of the, the biggest takeaways here, if there's one thing that you should, should walk away with is communication. And it is so hard sometimes to do that when 
uh, you're exhausted and you feel defeated by some of the stereotypes, the baggage, the mismatched expectations. Um, but family business is like walking a tightrope. And oftentimes the work is just feeling balanced on it. Um, it's, it's staying committed to being on the tightrope. It's staying committed to the relationship. It's staying committed to wanting to understand where someone else is coming from. Please reach out to me uh, with any questions that you have. Again, my name is Kendall Rawls. I'm Director of Development with the Rawls Group, Business Succession Planners, and it is our goal to transform chaos to a flourishing opportunity. And if you would like a copy of the four agreements, again, please reach out to me. Thank you.